pace. Hands in the air like I stick up the place, and I cannot falter. Whenever my face hit the altar, who you gave the ball to? I don't play the martyr, I just play much harder. Hard and aiming for the Hall of Fame. I lock and aim, I shock or bang. You lames don't want the parts, you all the same. I Charlemagne the talking, and I walk inside my lane. I came, I saw, I conquered. Dying's game, the pride that came before the fall. Summer's ours, Andy's coming. Hit the floor, I'm John Travolta. Hey, everybody. Thank you for being with me here on the Sound Podcast. This week's teaching is one I recently did in Richmond, Indiana on a Sunday morning at a church called Gateway Church there, and it was a lot of fun, and I feel like I really hit some important things on the friendship of God and uh, just a, a whole slew of challenges to the new covenant believer for things that we should be walking in. So, man, I am so excited. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you in this teaching. And uh, may the anointing of God within you teach you all things. I just bless you and enjoy. Uh, speak to you this morning about friendship with God. And I want to talk about some crazy uh, wild scriptures in the Old Testament that sometimes you read the Old Testament, you know, and it'll really mess with your paradigm, your theology, because you're going, man, uh, uh, this, this is just wild that this is even happening right now, that this is even actually here. But I love it because it gives us the full counsel of the character and the nature of God. And I think what's so powerful about knowing the Lord in many ways is you can't really love until you know who love is. And loving people is so much easier to do when you know love himself. And I love uh, that God is love and, and, and love is God. But see, the, the, the point is, is that love is defined by the character of who God is, right? I mean, we don't define love by our own ideas. Love is defined by who and the nature and character of God. So whatever he's like is what love is. Do you understand? So sometimes his character offends our false perception of love, right? And so to love more, I want to know him more. And I want to be more than just a servant of God. I want to be a friend. I want to be someone who's intimately involved, who's intimately acquainted with. I want to be, as the Psalms say, that Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. And Moses, the friend of God. Now, Moses, you know, we, we, we know the guy's pretty lofty in Scripture and pretty important to the Lord. But uh, I love that Jesus said that even the least of a believer in the kingdom of God is greater than the, the, than, than the, the greatest prophet. Or the least is greater than the greatest prophet. So, Think of this, and this is the challenge. Do you recall when, when, when Jesus said this in the book of Matthew? He said, even the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest of all prophets, John the Baptist. That was the words of Jesus, right? We don't get to argue the goat of prophets, uh, you know, if Jesus says it. If he says it, John the Baptist was the great, greatest prophet up until that point, he is. And he said, the least of the believers in the kingdom is better than he even. Think of that. The least, think of the worst Christian you know and point at him right now. Just kidding. <laughs> you know those people, they say, well, you know, he, he's really, he's, uh, he's not doing so good, but he loves the Lord. You ever heard that? Like, we know those people. He loves the Lord, though. He's not doing so hot, but he loves the Lord. Bless his dirty little heart. But uh, 
you know, even the least of the ki- in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet. So the least, the least of y'all little rascals in here are greater than Moses. And Moses, I mean, he really thought himself great. If you get to write the Bible, you get to throw in a few things that slip by, you know, like you ever remember the scripture Moses writes in Exodus where he says, he writes about himself and he says in parentheses, and Moses was the most humble man on earth at the time. We see what you did there, Moses. You might have snuck that one by. We see. And Moses was the most humble man on the earth at that time. Parentheses. End. Continue. Um. But anyway, you know, Moses really did know God. He really did know God. And I love that the psalmist says again, I'll I'll, I'll repeat, Israel as a nation knew God's acts, but Moses knew his ways. And the difference is this, is that many people see God move. Many people see God's hand, but they don't know God's heart. Many people have seen God move in church, but they don't know him. And seeing God move and knowing him intimately is a different thing. And God has not called you, beloved, in this room of God, even you least in the kingdom. God has not called you to just watch him move, but he's called you to know his ways, to know him intimately. You know that people who who have seen God's acts and seen God move, they know that God can do something. But people who know God's ways know that God will do something. And they know his heart. And they're acquainted in friendship. And the word fellowship is the same word in the Greek for friendship. I love that Paul constantly prays for the church. In the the letters to the church, he, he constantly says, I pray that you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The friendship of the Holy Spirit. How many people want to be friends with the Holy Spirit? I want to be friends with the Holy Spirit. I want to be friends with them. Do you know you have as much access as as anybody else in the kingdom? I'll say it like this. Do you know that you have more and greater access to God than Moses did? Now, think about I I, I love you because that's what my spirit wants to do. Ow, come on, baby. You ought to shout. I didn't didn't know if this was, uh, you know, when they said, when they said they was doing a date night for parents, I wanted to shout to God and run around the room and move my family to this church. Because if y'all do date nights, praise God in heaven. Some of y'all told remember how much that means to young families. Anyhow, you know, I, I want to be his friend. I want to be a friend of the Holy Spirit. I want to be intimately acquainted with him. What's crazy to think that we often miss is 2 Corinthians talks about this. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about this often. He says, um, he said, Moses lived under the old covenant, the covenant of death is what he called it. But even it had its perks, basically. Even it had its glory. But he says, we live under a new covenant. And he mentions, I don't know why he does this, and I might need to find it in case some of y'all think I'm lying, but he says, And Moses' face shone from the glory of God. Moses' face. How many remember Moses would go meet with God and Moses' face would shine? Think about this. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. For you theologians in the room. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. 
For what is passing away was glorious. What remains is much more. And it says this about Moses in verse 13. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. He was saying this, listen, we have way greater access to God than Moses had. And even Moses' face was shining. Now, if Moses' face was... Now, let's just stop for a minute here. Just stop and take your Christian lenses off and and treat the Bible like it's real for a second. I know it's a crazy concept. But let's just, for a minute, actually look at the Bible like it's real. Moses was a man, flesh and blood... And his face was shining with glory. I, uh, I remember uh, I, at a church that I started at, I was saved. And three weeks later, at 19 years old, was leading worship. God bless this pastor. He was either half crazy or just actually heard God or something. But he had me up there leading worship. I wasn't raised in church. You know, my first, my first Sunday of leading worship was like... I, only three Christian songs I've ever heard in my life. It was, I can only imagine and, uh, amazing grace and I'll fly away. That was my first. And how's that for theology? I just wanted to get to heaven at that point. I can only imagine I'll fly away. And I, I tell you, you know, I remember in that church, uh, there was one of my mentors of that, in that place. Remember one time the spirit of God broke out in the church and he prayed for everybody and the spirit of prophecy was on him and he just prophesied over everybody very accurately, really crazy. Glory of God was there, presence of the Lord, incredibly strong. And I remember walking out into the, the, the lobby after the meeting and I could see the literal glow, like a glow, a supernatural, like a light bulb was behind his face his face was glowing in the glory, and it actually frightened me a little bit. It actually made me go, I said, uh, hey, I said, bro, your, your face is literally shining right now. And he was like, shining, like, you know, and, and I remember feeling a, a, a tad bit scared. Do you know, Moses went up on a mountain, met with God as a friend, and came down that mountain, and his face started glowing because he got into the presence too much. His face started to glow and illuminate. If you're around radiation too much, it, it, it gets inside of your body. If you get around God's glory too much, you start to glow. Do you know you're called to glow? If Moses, under a lesser covenant, had that kind of re- reality, that kind of supernatural thing that happened in his life from being close to God... How much closer does God need to get to you to convince you that he wants you to be a shining one too? Listen, I'm looking for shining faces in the new covenant and I'm not seeing them. And it just makes me think that maybe we're not, maybe we're neglecting the first things first, which is to be a friend and to sit before his face and simply allow his word to come and change us. That we actually gaze on God so much that we become so close to him that we actually have to cover up the glory that's coming off of our lives. Most of the time we're trying to drum up and hype up the glory that we don't have. Instead of going, I've been with God so much, I have no need to hype anything up. I'm simply shining with the presence of God because I've been with him. I love what the book of Acts says. You know this scripture. It says, they, who are these men, these disciples of Jesus? They're unlearned, unlearned men, uneducated, but they've been with Jesus. 
but they've been with Jesus. Now, I, I believe the Lord would provoke us into this place. He would call us to know him more, to be friends with him, to walk with him, to actually hear his voice and obey. You can be as close as you desire to be to God. He lives inside of you. And I want to push this point home that if Moses had a shining face and we don't have shining faces, surely, surely even more is available to us. I want to share a dream with, well, I'll share the dream at the end. I'll share the dream at the end. It's a a dream that has been a compass for a large part of my life, but I'll, I'll wait for the end and then I'll pray for you for this. If you would go to Exodus 32 and um, let's, let's, let's read the Bible. Exodus 32 verse 10. Now I want you to take this in context again. I'm going to challenge you this morning to actually, I know it's crazy. We're breaking ground here. We're actually going to treat the Bible like it is real. And this actually happened and it happened how it, it says it happened. Okay. So let's do that. And listen to what the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 32. (laughs) Now, therefore, let me alone, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I may, and I will make of you a great nation. Let me tell you what's being said here in, in layman's terms. And just think about this. First of all, if God asked you to leave him alone, now wait a minute. Something I want you to see in this relationship with Moses and God is that Moses gets real with God. He's not afraid. You know, servants have a, have a certain level of, the, you're, you never graduate from being a servant. Do you understand? You never say, well, I'm a friend now, so I don't serve. <laughs> the opposite. You never graduate. You build upon the foundation of servanthood to growing into a friend. Do you remember when Jesus told the disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends? He said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. For friends know what their master is doing and why. They know the why of what their master is doing. Servants obey blindly. And there is a time and a place where we will do those things in our relationship and walk with the Lord. But there is a place the Lord wants to bring us to a friendship where we understand the why of what he's doing. We understand there's a nature of, I understand his heart, so I understand why he's doing this. Now, with that being said, Moses speaks with the Lord in way, if the Lord, he literally says, leave me alone. I am going to destroy all of Israel and I'm going to start over with you. Think of that. Now, first of all, notice the whole next part of the scripture is Moses not leaving God alone. I wonder if God speaks judgment and I'm not going to get into whether God speaks judgment or, you know, you know, no, no, I don't believe. I'm not going to get into whether hurricanes are sent by the Lord or natural disasters. That's not this teaching. But what I can tell you is this. How many times have we receive a, receive a harsh word from the Lord? Maybe a word of, of that's heavy, that's hard handed. But instead of just, we just receive the word. Well, the Lord said, leave him alone. I'm going to leave him alone. But what about a friend actually says, no, I'm going to go before the face of God and plead his word back to God. I'm going to tell God his word, what his word says. And you'd be surprised to see this, this, 
this real friendship with God. You ever notice how sometimes when we pray to the Lord, um, it shows kind of, <laughs> I mean, I do this still. You know, there are times I come before the Lord reverently in appropriate times. You know, I come to the Lord with reverence. But I don't think the Lord always wants just reference. I think sometimes he wants to hear you be real with God. Are you afraid to get real with God? There's another story of Moses. I mean, we read the Bible like we've, we've watched the Ten Commandments too much. God is like Charlton Heston and God is this. Now you must go over here, Moses, and you shall do as I say. And we think God is, is this, and we picture you know, Moses praying, Lord, and King James, Lord, now I come to thee, shalt thou smite Israel with thy strong right hand. Amen. And we're like, oh, how regal, how majestic, how reverent. And we view our dealings with God in that way instead of this, instead of, you think about the story of Moses when he leads Israel out. God tells Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, you know. Probably not going to listen, but I will deliver Israel out of the hand of Egypt. And Moses is like, sweet. Okay, well, you've shown me miracles. I I know I saw the burning bush. The snake turned into a, or the the, the staff turned into a snake. Don't do that again. Um, And just, uh, okay, let's let's go. Tells Pharaoh, let my people go. What does Pharaoh say the first time Moses goes? Pharaoh says, no. As a matter of fact, not only am I not going to let you go, I'm going to make it worse on the whole nation because you even asked. So now the workload of the entire nation is increased and they have less tools to do it with. Good job. See you again later. Moses leaves and Israel says, thanks a lot for that, by the way. Moses goes back to God and prays, Lord, you told me to go to Pharaoh and that you would deliver the people of, of, of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and Egypt and you deliver us and you've not done what you said you're going to do. And furthermore, not only did you not do what you said you were going to do, but it's worse now than it was before. And then the Lord says, now watch what I do. Now, I can read that of Moses going, Lord, you have come. And you know what he's saying? But he's not. The, Moses is going back and going, are you kidding me right now? How many have actually heard God's word, you've received a word, and then it didn't turn out how you thought it was going to turn out? Anybody? And you have two options at that point. You can actually let unbelief come into your heart and get angry at God and not go to God and say, well, you know what? It must not have been real. I don't even know if I hear from God. I don't even know if God's real. I don't even know anything. I thought I heard a word, but it didn't happen like I thought. So either I don't hear from God and you go down this spiraling place instead of this. Uh-uh, we're going back. Hey, you told me this. So what's going on? Oh, that's happened to me before. It seems like sometimes in, in that same story, you get a word from God and the exact opposite happens. <laughs> you ever heard that? Uh, you know, you, you, you get the word for healing and then the exact opposite starts happening. So what are you going to do? You're going to go back to God like a friend and say, Lord, what in the heck is going on right now? This doesn't make sense. You told me something and I'm standing on your word. You know what that shows? Faith shows faith. You're actually going back to the God who you came to in faith in the first place. You're going back in faith and saying, I want to know something right now. I want you to tell me. I want to get real with you right now. We don't, we don't, we might not even understand that because reverence 
and even the false perception of reverence has stolen the very nature of friendship from our walk with God. Because we can't go to him and say, hey, can I be real with you, God, right now? I don't got any more strength. I got nothing left. We got to be real with God to access and break through the threshold of real friendship. You have to be real with God. And that is not negating the importance and significance of reverence unto a holy God. It is simply this, that God is not okay with you just being a servant. He doesn't want a servant. He didn't die on a cross. He didn't give his very best for you to be a servant who just blindly serves. There is a place and a part of that in the Christian wall. He died because he wants to be your friend. He's looking for, for, for someone to, that you can share life with and love with. This is what the Father's looking for. Do you understand? Now, when you read this scripture, God is actually in Exodus 32, what I just read to you. He says, I'm destroying all of Israel, and I'm going to start over with you. This is essentially what he's saying. He's saying this. It'd be like if he came to one of you guys and says, hey, Gateway, I'm going to kill them all. We're going to start over a new church with you. How's that sound? Now, to some of you, you'd think, about time. <laughs> you little devil. I know. I say, I'm reading some of y'all. I'm reading your dirty little hearts. And what happens is, what happens is, is think about this. To, to a person obsessed with their own personal destiny, this sounds like promotion. Did you hear what I just said? To a person obsessed with their own personal destiny, this sounds like promotion. Do you know the false idea, I mean, of that your personal destiny is more important than God's biggest, bigger plan? That's not the way it goes. Your personal destiny fits like a puzzle piece and to the great reward of the lamb. This is about his destiny being fulfilled. This is about the, the, the purposes of God being fulfilled. And your personal destiny and promise gets to be enjoyed as an adventure to further complete the bigger picture. Does that make sense? Sometimes we get so obsessed with our personal destiny that it becomes an idol. And we will step over anyone and anything to get to that personal destiny in God, right? I live in Nashville, Tennessee. We got Christians running around in the music industry who, you know, think it's their personal destiny to be famous and rich. And the bottom line is, it may, it may in some ways be, but it never supersedes the ultimate destiny of the Lamb and His, His reward of His suffering. You understand? And furthermore, His reward is your devotion. His reward is your friendship. I would mic drop if I could afford a new mic. I'll... Depends what the honorarium is. If you let me know, I'll drop it right now. I am not that saved. Okay, now, um, moving on. Moses pleads with the Lord, and he says, <laughs> I mean, if the Lord tells you to leave it. So some, I would hate to say this, there's been times if the Lord says, Chris, you know, you know, this church, this movement, this whatever, I'm going to go ahead and kill that. I'm pretty angry. But I want to start over with you. Many of us would be like, Lord, that's your word. Let it be. Let it be, Lord. I mean, I've been thinking this for a long time. I'm glad you finally arrived to this conclusion. Um, you know, this is a good idea. I really think this is going to work. I got some ideas for us to rebuild. And I'm a great specimen to start with. Let's do it, Lord. See, personal promotion never outweighs corporate blessing. And Moses, being a friend of God, made him a good leader. 
Because a friend of God doesn't just care about personal destiny. They care about the corporate people being blessed. And if you value personal promotion over your, your, your own, you know, the rest of everybody else getting blessed with the same, then, then you're, you're missing the point. You're probably not close to the heart of God. So Moses reminds the Lord of his word. He goes through, he says, Lord, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants. He brings up territory and generations. That's what the Lord's concerned about. Territory, generations. And you can't take territory without generations. Do you know why? Because one person being a rock star, pastor, or preacher, or singer, whatever gift in the body of Christ, can never take territory. Because when they die, their ministry dies with them. True legacy God wants to birth out of this church and, and this corporate family is something that lasts for hundreds of years for now. God wants to birth something here that Richmond, Indiana looks different a hundred years from now. We've got to shape our focus in a different way. We've got to stop thinking, what is our church going to be like in 10 years? And start thinking, what is this community going to look like in a hundred years from now? And start building that way. We build, we build in one generation, but Moses reminds God, Lord, you told us you would take us to that promised land and remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you promised descendants that were as multiplied as the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea. So he reminds God, generations and territory. Because by the way, if you're really going to take territory, that's not a one generation job. You, you don't take Richmond in one generation. And if you're shooting like that, if you're shooting like that, if that's your aim, you're going to miss it. Because then your kids won't be able to carry on. Not just natural, spiritual. They can't carry on what you set out to do. Does this make sense? If we have a 10-year vision for, for what God wants to do in Richmond, Indiana, and the greater area here, even the, 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 the region here, If we have vision for what God wants to do in America, are we really setting ourselves up for 60, 70 years? Or are we more thinking 200, 300 years? What could it look like if we so permeate the atmosphere of Richmond, Indiana with the presence of God that every time you drive through, people are healed? That every time someone walks into the vicinity of this area, the atmosphere is so thin between heaven and earth that people walk through and start getting dreams, visions. They start hearing God. They hear God's voice. They get saved. They get healed. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like, if we're thinking in that way, we've got to... And the the enemy, you want to know the enemy of that thinking is poor in time theology. It's thinking that we're just waiting to get out of here. You know what I'm saying? We're just waiting to get out. The Muslims don't have that theology. And so their evangelizing technique is to have more kids. Is to have more kids. I hear Christians my age say, I don't know if I want to have kids because the way the world's going, it's getting so bad. I don't know if I want to have kids. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Okay. And then you think about the Mormons. They don't have an end time theology. That, now, they're not right about many, many things. It's a cult. But the thing is, is they don't have bad end time theology. So they're buying up land all over the place because they actually believe the kingdom's coming they have a different mindset. We in the church have bought into such a terrible anti-mindset that, well, the Lord it could come back any moment. The Lord could come back any moment. And I'm not trying to burst any of your end-time bubbles. But can we just say this? Can we say this? 
why don't we stop looking at how bad the world is as an indication of when Jesus is coming back instead of how beautiful the bride is? Because the Bible I read says he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Does the church have spot or wrinkle that you can find? I think. I think until we grow into the full maturity of Christ, as the Bible says, Jesus is coming back for a beautiful, spotless bride. He's not coming back because the world's getting so bad. He's coming back when the church looks good enough he can't resist it anymore. So, well, brother, I'll tell you, world's going to hell. It's going to, oh, and it's going to, it's just going down the tubes. It's all bad. I'll tell you, I ain't never seen it this bad. Yeah, America, it's going to be bad. We, you know, and we have all the, and I, gee, I've heard preachers, well, the Lord is just, he's just up there just saying, Father, let me go back. It's getting so bad. Let me go back before it gets so bad. And, and we have this idea that the world's getting worse, so, so Jesus has to be coming back soon. What a terrible way to look at everything. I mean, what if the Lord, we, we actually thought, you know, we as the church are going to grow so confident, strong, and, and powerful in intimacy and friendship with God, and as lovers of men, that we literally become so beautiful that Christ comes back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Let's just switch our thinking around a little bit and go after friendship. Because Moses pleads with God in this place. And he says, Lord, Lord, you promised generations and you promised territories. And because of that, listen to what happens in verse 14, Exodus 32. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. The word relented there means, you guessed it, repented. You know what repent means in the Hebrew? Changing of mind. Do you know some versions actually say, so the Lord changed his mind? (laughs) What's that do to your theology? I'm going to do this. Moses, a friend, comes, stands in the place of the people. Lord, you promised this. This is what your word has said. You promised, Lord. He says, yeah, okay, I'll change my mind. Do you even have that? Do we? Now, what did I say at the beginning? Did Moses have more access or less access than we do to God? Did he live under a better covenant or a worse or a lesser covenant? A lesser covenant. So what makes you think you can't go to God in that way? What makes you think... You couldn't actually change history just by being a friend of God. Do you realize an entire nation gets saved because of one man's prayer? How does history change if Moses says, very well, Lord, your word is spoken it, so I agree with your word. Ooh, this is where it gets tricky, doesn't it? Because we say, well, the word of the Lord is true and Sometimes when God asks you a question, you need to do what some of the other saints did. They say, you know, Lord. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that's what they said. He said, tell me. He'll ask a question. You know. If you, and that's sometimes a good place to be. But sometimes you, you filled up with holy faith. You know the word of the Lord. You know him intimately. You don't just know his acts. So you know his ways. So you go before him as a friend and you, and you plead for a people that don't deserve it. And then what happens is an entire nation is saved. How does history change if that one man doesn't have a friendship with God that could stand before him and plead in intercession like that? How does history change? 
You think you change history because you're great and you have a microphone and everyone knows your name. I tell you, you're missing the point. You in this room can change history because you're a friend of God. Let me give you another example. There was a man in, in the Bible. You know him. His name was Daniel. And I hate his fast. I just want to say, I hate his fast. I'll do a no food fast. I ain't eating nuts and berries. I can't do it. Anybody do a Daniel fast? Man, why do you have to do that? And white Christians have to make that a thing either. That gone. All right. Anyway, done. Rant over. Daniel comes in to the presence of God daily. Do you know that Daniel prayed three times a day, the Bible says, in his secret place? And he, and he would pray to the Lord in private. His private devotional life was solid. Do you know what changed Babylon and made the king of an entire empire put out a decree that the God of Daniel was the one true living God? You want to know how it happened? It happened because there was a, a an unjust verdict made, an unjust verdict made that you could only pray to you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you couldn't, there was no other gods. Do you think that stopped Daniel? No, Daniel kept praying in secret. Well, they busted down his closet door and seen Daniel praying in secret to God. It was his secret place devotional life that got him thrown into the lion's den. They caught him praying in his secret place. He wouldn't stop his devotion life. So they throw him into the lion's den. And when they throw him in to the lion's den, he's delivered, of course. Nebuchadnezzar comes And he says, surely God has delivered you. This proves to me that your God is the one true living God. And he actually releases a decree. It would be as if the president of a nation called a a press hearing and stepped up in front of the whole nation and said, I want to declare that the God of all gods is the God of Daniel. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? Because one person has a devotional friendship with God. (laughs) He changed the whole nation. You know, in king's chambers is where wars begin and end. Mm. Yeah, it's king's chambers where wars begin and end. It's in king's chambers where wars begin and end, and you have access to the king's chamber. Now, listen. He changed his mind. He changed his mind because of Moses' prayer. This is so powerful to me. And what I want to conclude with is is this dream because I want to share the dream that I had years ago that's been a compass for my life a prayer I will pray probably until the the very end it's just an encounter I don't have many dreams you know I don't get dreams all the time they're not a common occurrence for me I know some people are dreaming all the time Um, but this dream was significant and life-changing And the dream, what it means for you is everything I'm talking about. That you would be so close in friendship with God that you would wear his presence. That you would actually, that you would actually put on Christ. That you would actually carry the presence and the face. Remember, presence means face. Face means presence in the Bible. Same word in the Greek and the Hebrew. Presence means face. That you would carry the presence, that you would carry the face of God on your life. That people could actually not put their finger on it, but look at you and say, man, there is something about you that, that, that I have to know. That there's something deeper inside of you. One night, I, I was falling asleep, praying, because that's what I always do. I'm very spiritual like that. 
Actually not. Usually, like, last night I, I went to bed, like, on ESPN app. But that's just the real. Um, but sometimes I go to bed praying. And uh, this particular night I was praying, and I was just, like, feeling the nearness of the Lord. It, it was probably eight to nine years ago now. And I, I was praying, and I felt the nearness of God just approaching, the weight, actually, of his presence falling in my room as I was falling asleep. And I was in the dream. And I was in a large room about like this. And it was like a cafeteria. And I was at one end of the room in the dream. It was illuminated in this golden color. The whole dream was in a golden light. It was just this golden bright light. And there was a crowd towards the end, towards the corner. There was a large, the the crowd of people, a few hundred people uh, in the room total. But the, the, the crowd was very, very thick towards the end of that corner and everyone's attention was on whoever was in the end of that corner at a table. And I remember feeling the electricity of the presence of God in the dream. Of course, very surreal, seemed incredibly real. And I began to walk and what took forever, it seemed to walk to the corner. I began to feel as I got closer to that corner, every step, it was as if the molecules in my very being were exploding. It was as if I was coming alive. I mean, it was, it was like I could, I began to feel electricity surge through my body the closer I got to that corner, whoever was in that corner. And the crowd was going crazy. It was as if you, whoever was there, it was like a celebrity feeling like, man, whoever must have been an impromptu celebrity appearance or something because people are going crazy. You could feel the excitement in the air, but I was feeling the weighty presence of God, the closer I got to that corner. And as the crowd thickened towards that corner, and I remember walking and I felt then the weight, the weight just come down and push on me. That weighty kabod glory, that just, that, that Shekinah glory, it just began to push me. And I felt heaviness, I, like a glory. I felt sensations of the fear of the Lord. And at the very same time, the most incredible excitement you could even describe. Fear came over me as if I think I know who's in the corner of this room, but I'm, I am struck with the most intense fear, holy reverence, just, oh man, I'm so terrified almost to see who I think I'm going to see. But at the same time, just this feeling of such palpable excitement and, and unbelievable attraction, magnetizing me to the, whoever it was in that room. And I walked closer and closer. And right before I got there, I remember in the dream, a woman laid her hand on my shoulder and she said, can you believe it's him? And then I go, oh gosh, I know. I mean, I was, I know who I was going to see. I walk to the edge and I, I finally get through the crowd and at a table was sitting the Lord Jesus. And he was sitting at the table And I saw the Lord, and he was exuberantly uh, laughing and smiling, and the most attractive being in the universe. When I looked at his face, thousands of scriptures, like bubbles, popped in my spirit. Scriptures. It was like, oh, I'm looking at the word, (laughs) because the word is just exploding on the inside of me. And, 
and thousands of scriptures made perfect sense as if they were the truest thing, truth that I hadn't even tasted, truth that was deeper than facts, truth that was so real that thousands of scriptures going off. And I immediately had millions of thoughts pass through my my mind and soul and spirit as if I was to think, if, if, if anyone could see him like this, they would never be happy have to be told to worship again because worship is the only appropriate response when you see how beautiful he is. And the word going off, he is the word. And when I looked at him, the word, scriptures popping off. And, and, and I remember seeing, he was laughing. And it was like, I remember all of, I, I, could, I could take an hour and tell you the scriptures that just boom, 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 made sense. One of the scriptures just, of the thousands were like, when it says the multitude thronged him just to try to touch him. And I just remember feeling that. Everybody in the crowd, oh, if they could just touch him. He was so joyful, so beautiful, so incredible, so perfect, so enjoyable. And, and he was laughing and his laugh was infectious. And the light, I remember the light coming off of the Lord was like, I, re- I then realized he was lighting up the whole room. Golden glow, glory. Then I woke up and I remember the first thought that popped in my head was what he looked like. And of course, that's what everyone wants to know, right? What, what did he look like? What did he look like in, in the, in the, uh, in the dream? And it's the first question I asked the Lord because I, I did see him and his features and his characteristics. And I knew in the dream the, the thought never hit me in the dream what his physical appearance was because in the dream, it was just the 100,000th percent, you know, that is Jesus. And I knew it was Jesus. And I didn't even think about his physical appearance until I woke up. And if you want to know what he looked like, he looked exactly like me. And before, before you, you, you think that's crazy, just hold on a minute. <laughs> Because you, before you go, okay, I'm going to get up and walk out. Just, just wait. That's not what I mean. He would, it was me. The physical appearance was me. And I had no idea why. And I said, as soon as I woke up, Father, why did he, why did he look like me? And he said, because you are the image of my son to those who don't know him. Put on Christ. You can wear his glory. Carry his face. And I knew, like I knew at that moment, I knew at that moment that uh, God was calling every one of us. Isn't it amazing that I knew it was the spirit, the presence, the very manifestation of Christ, but it looked like me. When Paul said, I put on Christ daily, (laughs) I put on Christ. How many have you seen and you, you look at them and you say, I don't know, they look like you but I feel him on you. You carry him very well. You carry his face, his presence to those who don't know him. And to those who do, you are the very representation of his glory on the earth. This is the mystery hidden before the ages. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Stand with me. Father, I thank you for these precious, precious ones. I ask you, Lord, That you would pour your spirit out. That you would pour your spirit out. I ask you, Lord, 
Lift your hands to God if you want to wear Christ. Lift your hands to God. Jesus, I pray you would pour out your spirit. Pour out the revelation of friendship, God. Pour out the revelation of friendship in Jesus' name. Pour out, God, the wearing of Christ. That we would be friends. That we would live for legacy. That we would live for the generations of our children's children's children, God. God, we may have fallen. We may have not done everything right in the past. But we now come and we say we lay everything at your feet. Make us friends. Make us deep, deep friends with you. I pray over every one of you right now. Every one of you right now. That you would receive an impartation of the friendship of God. And that your heart be stirred to know him above every other thing. That nothing else matters but being a friend who he can put his glory on. If you want to be a friend who he puts his glory on. I want you to tell him I want to be your friend. And I want to wear Christ. And I want your glory to be on me. And I want to live as one who lives for eternity God. I want to wear your son the beauty of the Lord as David prayed. Let the beauty of our God be upon you. And establish the works of your hands. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Amen.